0: I'm Seth. And I'm Jonathan. And welcome to No Experts Allowed. You know what we love? The Bible. You know what we don't love? When people use the Bible to scare or hurt others, instead of allowing it to transform them and their communities. So we're trying something different. Two Bible nerds
1: hosting a podcast that isn't about technical details, but is about two
0: simple questions. What's the story? And what's the point? One of us will prepare for the conversation. Let's call them the non-expert. The other will respond to the story as they hear it. We'll call them, and you, the storyteller. So we can show you that you don't need to be an expert to hear the Bible speak to our world. Join us. Let's tell a good story today.
1: Good day, Seth. How's it going, mate? Good.
0: I was waiting for the mate. I feel like I was- <laughs>
1: Well, I wanted to speak slowly and carefully just to make sure because I know I don't know if you fully recovered yet
0: <laughs> what
1: I don't know if you've fully recovered from the burn that you received on Twitter over the past couple since the last time we recorded i I honestly haven't to be honest like I mean I don't know if I, ever I feel will. like I don't I don't I hope you never do. A burn from Chance the Rapper is pretty serious. I know anyways. And I was it was so unexpected. That's what made it. It was literally the only reply you got to that tweet that where you <laughs> added him was from, from him. Yeah, true. Well, anyways, go check out Seth on Twitter to see what we're talking about. But yes, the Chance the Rapper roasted Seth on Twitter and it was incredible. And Seth got not Twitter famous. Not quite to that level, but for for him and for us, like man. <laughs> it was out there. It was great. I
0: gained one follower.
1: <laughs> was it was it worth it? No.
0: <laughs> I got dragged by chance the rapper. And then I gained <laughs> one follower. I was like, this is not oh. how Twitter's supposed to work.
1: Okay. Well let's get you back to your comfort zone with okay. a certain question. Okay. What would you do in this particular situation? In post-pandemic life, would you feel more comfortable on a date with your beloved wife at the movies or at a restaurant?
0: For Patty and I we don't watch that many movies in theaters, so I'm going to go with a mm-hmm. restaurant. I like going to theaters, but that's just like never been a pra- a dating Practice for us. I don't think we went to any movies together, like at the movie theater before we were married. I think it's only been since we've gotten married that we've gone to the movie theater together. Yeah. Well, you must have just
1: been more creative on what you did for dates. We're cheap. The movies are expensive. (laughs) It's so expensive (laughs) now. (laughs) Yeah. I think, I mean, I look forward to doing both of these things more often abby and i just went to a restaurant and ate outdoors for the first time in months it was it was great it was really nice food was great good time was had by all (laughs) um i think inside at either one though i might feel a little more comfortable with the movies just because like i know people would still be eating some but maybe they'd keep their masks on longer i mean we're both fully vaccinated so, we're not necessarily as worried. I don't know. There's something about a restaurant, though, that just feels kind of like TSA, kind of security theater, but just related to health and safety. It's like, oh, everyone has their masks on when they walk into the restaurant. Yeah. And then you're sitting at a booth back to back with someone and you're both just breathing the same air. Yeah. Like, what good is the mask doing you?
0: You might as well just not. Yeah. Yeah. The theater is, I mean, it's usually one huge room. So, I always think, like, it is certainly can disperse in there too someone's
1: i was hoping that that this whole thing would bring back drive-in theaters like make them maybe a little more widespread uh it hasn't seemed to be the case though but they should do drive-in restaurants they they've done those before they still kind of do them now
0: (laughs) yeah but they should bring them back okay fine
1: on that note, maybe we should transition <laughs> to the passage for today. So, you, will you read our scripture for this week's episode?
0: I would love to. This is 1 John chapter 4 verses 7 through 21 from the NRSV, the New Revised Standard Version. Beloved, let us love one another, because love is from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love a brother or sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. Okay, why the NRSV? Thanks for reading
1: that, first of all. It wasn't a short (laughs) passage this week, and as always, uh, you read it in such a lovely way. And as always, when I usually turn to the NRSV, it's because something about the language is really important. We've used this version many times on our podcasts, and the NRSV is one of the first choices among scholars today who study the English because of the way It focuses on the original meaning of the text and translating the language as closely as possible. So as you read through this passage, which I think is one of the more famous ones in the New Testament in some way,
0: or at least the idea of it, what stood out to you? It reads so technically. Like I felt like I had to read like slow and deliberately to try and get across like the way that the text moves. Like, it's like, okay, God loves us, so we love others, and by this we know that we abide in God, and God abides in us, right? It's like, there's all these different, like, strands, right? Like, it goes point A, point B, point C, and then again, I feel like, I guess all that said, it reads kind of in a roundabout way.
1: Yeah, I mean, it both says in verse 8 that God is love. Yeah. (laughs) And again, in in verse 16, and yet has such a choppy, methodical structure to it that really feels like it's laying out an argument of some kind, right? First this, then this, therefore this. And the fact that love and divine love are talked about in such a way is just so striking to me, honestly. And I thought for us, it kind of shift our focus at the beginning a little bit. Rather than just talking about maybe some of the historical context behind First John, I thought it'd be interesting for us to really focus in on what we can learn about what love is according to this passage, hmm. to kind of hmm. either develop a short list or a short definition of what love is in some way, um, because there are a lot of, as you said, points here that kind of instruct us on what we might be looking for when we're looking to understand love. I did mention before that I chose the NRSV because of the language importance. And one of the things that stood out that I think generally comes through in a lot of translations is that anytime you see the word love in this passage, it is the Greek word or some form of the Greek word agape. Uh, so it is the idea of unconditional, never-ending, you can get lost in its depths and its breadth, that kind of love. Uh, there are multiple words for love in the Greek language, uh, notably expounded upon by C.S. Lewis, but the agape love, the, that is the type of love that God is, that God offers to us. I also love how this passage starts because it starts with this short phrase beloved let us love one another and that construction is in Greek is literally a noun form of love that describes people and then the verb uh. to love so it's it's essentially it's like, like
0: loves let's love one another
1: yeah exactly yeah. it's it's almost it's poetic, but it's almost redundant in some way. It's like, hey, this thing that we're supposed to be marked by as a community, we need to do that yeah. more, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I, I just love that. It's it, you know, it's is that an appropriate word? <laughs> <laughs> word choice. I, but I do. I, I so appreciate that emphasis there at the start. That love, and, and maybe this can be a start of our definition or something we add to our list. But, like, love is something that you're always working on. Hmm. Hmm. It's not something that you get it once and you have it forever. It's ongoing. It's dynamic. It's relational in a lot of ways. So I almost want to say, like, love is a work in progress. Mm-hmm. What else? What else stands out, like, kind of as a defining factor for love as it's
0: described in this passage specifically? Well, love is a prerequisite for knowing God. Right, whoever does not love, does not know God, for God is love. And okay, now, now I'm just thinking. Now I'm just sitting on that. Like. I know that's a big one because you can almost
1: say. So does that mean I need to know God to know love? Or do I need to have experienced love to have experienced God in some way? It's kind of a chicken and the egg yeah. kind of situation. Yeah. <laughs> I would say love demands action.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: In verse 11, it says, Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. And if we love one another in the next verse, God lives in us and God's love is perfected in us. And I think back to those verses also get at the point that you brought up too, that when we love, we open ourselves up. To God's spirit moving and working and perfecting that divine love in us.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: I'm struggling to kind of centralize that in a short phrase.
0: Yeah, something like, you know, love opens us to experience God. Is that compact enough?
1: How it just opens us to the spirit.
0: Okay, I like I like that.
1: We're moving toward the next verse. Mm-hmm. I'd
0: also say,
1: love is generous. Because we see God showed love by sending Jesus into the world. Yeah. Specifically giving of God's own self to, as it says in verse 10, be the atoning sacrifice for our sins.
0: Yeah, I like that. What do you think about verse 18? I buy that last part because, like, I have some fears. <laughs> <And> my lo- <laughs> My love is... Not perfect, like it's it's a work in progress, yeah. right? Like we talked about, oh my God.
1: right? Yeah this this passage challenges me because I feel like in my life I experience both fear and love, and maybe maybe it's not necessarily saying that those two things can't coexist, that those things are mutually exclusive, like you're either full of love or you're full of fear, but that love compels you to overcome fears that you have.
0: Hmm, yeah.
1: So I would almost say, like, love is stronger than fear.
0: Okay, yeah, no, I like...
1: Not to deny fear's existence and reality.
0: That makes sense to me, like, I mean, I'm thinking of stories in which, like, people do heroic, seemingly, like, heroic things for people they care about, right? It's not that they don't have fear. It's that the love can can overpower it.
1: And I and I'd also say that for folks who experience fear in relationships that are supposed to be marked by love, this is also a sign that the love is not prominent, that love is not real, or is yet to be perfected in that relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm yeah. thinking of situations that are marked by abuse of some kind, or I I don't know, but I don't want to I don't want to dismiss fear entirely. And I think we so quickly do that with this passage. It's like, don't worry about the things that are actually really serious needs or really serious worries or sources of anxiety, but rather love gives us something to hold on to in the midst of that that will ultimately prevail, even though in the moment it's hard to recognize that. So we have love is stronger than fear, that's kind of one, that was kind of the first piece yeah. of it that we talked yeah. about.
0: You know, fear exists while love is being perfected.
1: Love is forever. Fear is
0: temporary. Yeah. Is that what yeah. you're saying? Yeah.
1: Okay. And then it feels like the last piece that we haven't covered, it just comes in those last couple of verses about how we relate to one another.
0: There can be no hypocrites in love. We can't say, I love God, and then hate our brothers or sisters and i want to say vice versa hmm.
1: that when we when we love our neighbors when we love our our kin folk that, yeah, <laughs> that we yeah. are loving god
0: yeah hmm
1: yeah so what's our snippet for that one
0: okay um what about loving others is loving god loving god is loving others i like that
1: great so, this is what we have. Okay. We have love is a work in progress. Love is a prerequisite for knowing God. Love demands action. Love opens us to the spirit. Love is generous. Love is stronger than fear. Love is forever. Fear is temporary. And Loving God means loving others, and loving others means loving God. That's a lot of pretty profound stuff from in all yeah. like a pretty short piece of scripture yeah. <laughs> so gosh. with with that seth you know, is there any one of those that particularly stands out to you
0: i love the idea that it's a work in progress mm-hmm. like i think i often think of love as binary like I either am loving or i'm i'm not like both in general and then even in my individual actions like i'm doing something that's loving or i'm not it's obviously much more progressive than that and there's there's a goal at the end right it's not just like the sum of all of these these little interactions it's actually like like a building process yeah that's really profound to me yeah i was i
1: was really struck by what you offered there as our last point seth that Loving God means loving others, and loving others means loving God. I think that kind of connection is really strongly woven throughout the New Testament, especially, and I, I would contend the entirety of Scripture. But when Jesus talks about the greatest commandment, when he answers the question, he gives, he gives a two-part answer to a question that asked for one part. And the connecting point between loving God and loving your neighbor is the second is like it, meaning that there's a deep interwoven connection between what it means to show love to God and what it means to show love to our, to our kin, to our sisters and brothers. And that connectedness is often lost on us when we so focus on just kind of spiritualizing our devotion and our love to God and ignoring those who are hurting right around us whether that be in an emotional and relational sense or in like a physical and material sense. And if I could transition to a brief conversation about kind of a a point of this passage and a point of these definitions to, we know that the church falls short of this standard of love. We don't need to talk about that. (laughs) that. That's an assumption. But I think my question for our reflection and conversation is what this failure to love in this way, this failure to fully embrace the love as described in 1 John, to fully embrace God as described here in 1 John, what that costs the church? Hmm. Like hmm. when we are not meeting this definition or this laundry list of what love is, what are we missing out on?
0: I hope I word this right, but I just wonder if it doesn't cost some of God's reputation. Like if if God is love, and it's and if it's true that since God loved us so much, we ought to love one another, and then we don't, we're we're terrible at it. Like, isn't that a poor reflection on the one who loved us so much? Yeah. Well, wow.
1: it's that transitive property, right? Yeah. If we can use my math exactly. stuff like, exactly. So if. If this is what the church thinks love is, then we can, you know, folks who are hurt by that, who are harmed by that, can easily translate that to this is
0: what God is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it has like, it has messy theological implications, not just for the church, but actually, right, for God. It's not just ecclesiology. It's not just the church that's impacted by it, but it's also kind of God who that's impacted by it.
1: Yeah. And I think those that currently don't associate with the church or have been hurt by the church also continue to be affected by this failure to measure up. And for those of us within the church, you know, that's not necessarily a cost of like evangelism, you know, people who are not part of the church in terms of what that would mean for the church as an institution, but it's a cost of being able to encounter even more folks who are on a journey of healing and a journey with God who are seeking love and justice and restoration in the world we're missing out on being able to connect with more folks and join on those journeys together so i, I want to make sure that distinction mm-hmm. is clear is like our communities are missing out not because they've got like some dollars that could go in the offering plate or some volunteer hours that they could offer but that their their stories and experiences and gifts have been held out of our community because of our own actions and our own inaction has led us to misrepresent God and misrepresent love to those who may need it, who aren't part of a community.
0: And now I'm just thinking about the Joannine community, the people who wrote this letter. Yeah. As a seemingly insular group like within judaism and then like this radical call to love that we've been talking about like opens them up right yeah to all these to people who who may have been like dismissive of them or like or ostracized them before like the calls to love them too yeah Right? and and that in turn will bring them in like you're talking about right even if they never joined the the Jo9 community completely, but they're now in relationship with them in in a new way yeah
1: yeah it opens them up to those who had ostracize them and those whom they may have ostracized to yeah
0: exactly it's a good that's a great point yeah this is a yeah. this is probably the same community. Who authors the Gospel of John, and who just castigates the Jews, right? So there's right. throughout that, that entire gospel. So they're yeah. certainly doing some some ostracizing of their own. Right?
1: Well, let's let's wrap this conversation up, Seth, by thinking about this one step closer to home, and think about ways that we can f- more fully embrace this idea of love that we've talked about i want to hear i want to hear from you too but since i'm springing the question on you i'll go first okay. i think i've noticed myself lately really limiting the ways that i'm open to experiencing god you know that if it's in you know our conversations about scripture or other conversations or in a church service or when i'm praying Man, I'm really just convicted by the idea that love opens us up to the spirit and that love is can be at work in surprising ways. So I think for me I wanna I wanna pay attention to others and pay attention to other spaces and circumstances where love may be bubbling up. There may be possibilities, but I've just not been paying attention.
0: Hmm. I find it very empowering that fear is only temporary. I think in our pandemic world right now, that feels like it's in a particularly liminal space, like the pandemic slowly ending, but not ended yet. Like I have fears about what it looks like moving forward, what it looks like going to the theater and going to the restaurant it's it's helpful for me to think about those as as temporary even if even if they're longer than i think i'm thinking mm-hmm. about that because i kind of thought we'd be out of this pandemic by this point so i think yeah i think it will probably also be take longer to get out of it than i anticipate but that it's still temporary mm. but the love that people have shown each other during this this time that that's not temporary and that's especially true of the love that God has for us now and always
1: well that feels like a great note for us to land on can I pray for us? I'd love that great let's pray God of love, thank you for your love that's a work in progress, for your love that helps us know you, your love that demands action, your love that opens us to the spirit, your love that's generous, your love that is stronger than fear. Help us to learn to love you that we may love others. And learn to love others, that we may love you. Mindful of the many names by which your children cry out to you from all over the world, I pray in the name of love incarnate, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. To our listeners, thanks for joining us. Be sure to subscribe and tune in for our next episode.
0: Seth, what story will we tell next week? We're going back to the Psalms. We're talking about Psalm 98. But until then, leave us a review and find us on Twitter and Instagram to continue the conversation. Thanks for walking us through that story, Jonathan. I loved it. Thanks for helping me tell it.